Welcome to the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society. Welcome to ITSP Magazine. You're listening to a new Securing Bridges podcast. You're about to join Alyssa Miller as she sits down with senior and executive security leaders to share stories of success and failure while working across business teams. It's time to build and secure the bridge to the business. Knowledge is power, now more than ever. All right, hey everybody. Melissa Miller, I'm here and it's another episode of Securing Bridges. Now you might be looking at the screen and noticing things seem a little different this week. You didn't see on social media. We're gonna do a little bit different take today. Um, you know, it, I'll, I'll try to pretend like this was fully intentional. Some of it was, but you know, I also kind of goofed up. But in any event, I don't have a guest here with me today as you'll notice. Uh, We're doing this solo, but the timing worked out really well because people have been asking me for a while, hey, Alyssa, you know, how's your new job going? For those of you that don't know, uh, I started a new role a couple months ago as a chief information security officer. Now, this is my first time in that role. And literally yesterday was my 90 day mark. So, you know, a lot of times you enter a new role and we talk about that 30, 60, 90 day plan and 90 days is kind of like, all right, you've had your chance to kind of absorb everything. Now it's time to really start digging in and doing the hard work. Well, I thought it might make a lot of sense because people have kind of asked me, okay, you're, you're 90 days into this. How, how is it? I thought it'd be kind of an interesting episode to share that. And since things worked out this week anyway, that, um, you know, scheduling snafus won't even go into it. Here we are. I don't have a guest, so it's a perfect opportunity at the right time, the perfect timing for me to kind of open things up and share with you a little bit what I've learned in this role. Because again, this is my first time as a chief information security officer. Um, you know, I've had a pretty exciting career, but this is all new. And it was, you know, of course, a little daunting on the way in and a little bit of imposter syndrome too. So, so I don't have a guest today. We'll have guests back next week and we'll be right back to normal. But this week we're diving in. The other thing we're going to do with this then is this isn't ask me anything. So... Throughout the show, feel free, if you're watching on YouTube or you're watching on Facebook, pop your questions into the chat. I kind of like to keep them cybersecurity related. Um, They don't necessarily have to be about the first 90 days as a CISO, but I'm happy to to do that too. But yeah, send me your questions. Or the other way you could do it is tag me on Twitter. I'll be watching the, the Twitter feed as well to make sure that if anybody's got a question, if for some reason you can't get it into the chat, Shoot it to me on Twitter and I'll answer your questions to the best of my ability right here live. So without further ado, let's kind of dive in. And I want to, first of all, I kind of just want to share a little backstory with you. Um, Some of you are probably already familiar. I know I've shared it in other places, you know, kind of my origin story. So I'm not going to get too deep into that. But, um, you know, for many of you, you know, hey. Uh, I, I started off as a hacker. I was a hacker as a child, uh, bought my first computer when I was 12, accidentally fell into tech after pre-med didn't work out. And 
even at that point, wasn't in security until about nine years later. Uh, working in financial services, I joined uh, the security test team for the company that I was previously working for as a, a programmer. They, I moved into their security team as a, you know on their security test team and got introduced to management pretty much about that point. It was uh, about a year in, I think, that I officially was given a manager or leadership role uh, within that team. And that just sort of grew. The company grew from 5,000 to 50,000 people. And I ended up, before I left, I owned, you know, a, a big chunk of that. Uh, or, I mean, I owned the, the security testing and vulnerability management all together. Um, you know, and then I got into consulting, did a number of consulting gigs. I got to work with a lot of different folks and that sort of progressed up where initially, you know, I was managing a team of pen testers and doing pen tests myself on web applications that grew into more strategic focus around secure SDLC until finally I was leading a, a practice that was focused on application security programs. And so now I'm having conversations at board levels and executive levels. And, you know, that progressed and progressed. I worked for a couple different consulting companies. I then worked for a vendor for a short time, as some of you are aware. And then I landed my first executive role as the BISO at a large Wall Street firm. So getting closer to that CISO title, right? And was able to bring a lot of those lessons I learned from working with other companies, Fortune 200s on you know big security programs, talking to their boards, talking with their executives, that BSO role, that business information security officer role was a chance to expand that. And when I took on that role, and I promised me, there's a point to me telling you all of this. When I took on that BSO role, I kind of always figured that would be the stepping stone to eventually a role as chief information security officer. And so that came along a little faster than I expected. Um, I was in that role 18 months as a business information security officer when I was offered this job as a CISO. And, you know, how do you turn that down? Now, after 18 months as a BSO leading cybersecurity for a massive $4 billion a year division of a big Wall Street company, it was kind of hard to walk away from. I'm not going to lie. But I decided to take a chance. And that landed me where I've been now for the last 90 days as a CISO. So when I got this job, one of the things, and this is, so first of all, I set this stage because I want you to understand the what my background was. You know, some of you might look at that and say, wow, how could you ever feel imposter syndrome after all that? Some of the others might say, wow, how did you get to CISO so fast? That's kind of weird. Um, believe me, I've had both of those thoughts and a lot more. Um, so certainly it, it's been an interesting road. But when I got this job, a friend of mine, a uh, you know, friend and colleague who I've had a lot had a lot of discussions with, even as I was considering this. You know, do I even take this job? It's hard to walk away from something I've only been in eighteen months, where I had lots of exciting stuff. But I talked to him, and and he gave me a lot of pointers. But one of the things he did after I told him I had accepted the job was he sent me this book the first 90 days. Now I'm not endorsing the book or saying it's good or bad, 
It was helpful to me, but more importantly, it's the title itself is why I'm sharing this. And I'll move so you can see the author in case you are interested in this book. But the title is what's interesting because if you pay attention to any news around any executive who's brought into a new role, any C-level exec, there's a lot of focus given on what do they do in their first 90 days. And a lot of times it's really public. And I think that's one of the first things I learned in this role was there's a lot of expectations about those first 90 days. And so I came into this organization and expecting, you know, like, oh, I, I have to come in and really, you know, prove in these first 90 days that, you know, I'm, I'm capable of this job and whatever. And so the lesson learned there already was that's not necessarily true. And in fact, I don't think you want that to be true. So coming into the job, what I discovered relatively quickly was uh, the, the executive that I report to, the CIO of the company, didn't have expectations for me to make a big splash. In fact, quite the opposite. And I think that that's something that was really important and, and supportive and has really helped me hit kind of actually hit the ground running was that there were not expectations that I come in and make big changes or, you know, establish myself in some way or prove that I was deserving of the job. You know, a lot of times I think we, we do feel that way. And so, you know, that was something that was really helpful to me. And I think as you look at the role of a CISO, it's probably not common to have those expectations set that way. I think most people, there is a, you're expecting the CISO to come in. A lot of times CISOs come in after a big, you know, issue or breach or something happened. Some reason the old CISO left, or at least those are the ones you hear about, right? There's a lot of people who quietly enter this role. You never even hear, but the public ones are the ones we pay attention to. And I think that that sets up, maybe wrongful expectations. So in this role, I've had the opportunity to bring it in the way I would approach any management role. And it's something that's covered in, in the, that, that book too, the first 90 days, is just that idea of balancing between change and you know, kind of maintaining stability. Because you come in as a new leader, new executive leader, you're, you're taking on, in, you know, in most cases, you're, you're taking on a team that somebody else built. And, you know, hopefully through the interview process, as I did, you've had the opportunity to talk to that team and to really see what they're made of and understand who they were. And I know for me, walking into this role, that was actually one of the selling points was that I had a strong team in place. Now, I love team building. And by team building, I mean, you know, coming into a situation where there's a lot of work that needs to be done from uh, just constructing a team and recruiting and all that. I, I like doing that. I've done it a lot of times in my career, but it was actually really nice in this case to be able to evaluate the team, look at the team and say, you know what, this team is really strong. There's a lot of really good resources here. And so I think, you know, as I look at this, it's, you know, it, it's been really helpful to have that 
and then not come in with that as like a, an immediate item that had to be addressed. So I want to backtrack now a little bit. And that is, I want to look at the role of a CISO and how people look at it from us an industry perspective, because I think for a lot of people becoming a CISO someday is like that kind of coup de grace, right? It's, it's, it's the big objective at the end of the career path or, you know, somewhere far down the path, at least it, you know, it's, it, it's, you know, maybe you never have an end state and you might want to do things beyond being a C level. Maybe you want to, you know, get on boards or, you know, start your own company or whatever else. There might be other parts of that, but CISO seems to be a role that's on a lot of people's career goals. And then you talk to people who are CISOs and there, you know, there's a lot of joking about the regrets of becoming a CISO. And, you know, I, a lot of that is joking, but a lot of it, I think there is some truth to it. There, it's no, there, there's no secret in our industry about the expected lifespan of a CISO. I'm aware of it. And it's one of the things I had to really consider walking into this role is, okay, so the industry says about 2.8 years, I think is the most common number I've seen is the average lifespan for a CISO. Now, of course, my objective is to far exceed that. I would like to be in this role for many, many years at this company. But I also had to accept that, you know what? Oftentimes we are the ones that are scapegoated. But I think it's also interesting to look at, and I've seen it come to fruition already, that I think there's a lot of people who look at the CISO role as a goal who maybe don't realize that it may not be a job you want. Um, you know, there's, I grew up in very technical space. I was a hacker. I grew up in IRC chats with, you know, other hackers. I was a pen tester for years. Even when I was in management, I was still doing the work. I was still, you know, in there hacking web applications and, and doing those types of things. Um, even when I was doing secure SDLC services, you know, I was really involved in pipeline construction and the, the various tools and integrations that center around building a DevOps pipeline. I loved that stuff. I still do. I still love all that technical stuff, but you have to understand, and maybe this is obvious, but I think people don't really think about it necessarily, is when you step into an executive, senior or executive leadership role, one of the things you're doing is stepping away from your involvement in those technical aspects. It just doesn't happen. There's so much other stuff you have to do. And it's not just that there's so much other stuff you have to do. It's the nature of the job. And so I think that's one of the things, maybe not even in the first 90 days, even leading before that, it, it's been interesting to see how much of being a senior or executive leader in cybersecurity is not about your technical chops at all. It's, it's really about learning how to run a business because the conversations you're in, I mean, yesterday, I was in a quarterly business review. And let me tell you, it's not about all the technical, you know, details of everything we're working about. It's like, how does this stuff apply to the business? How are we going to accelerate the business? The, the problems I face every day in different conversations in this role 
are often more business-related conversations than they are cybersecurity-related. Sure, we're talking about security as a component of all of it, but a lot of the problems, the challenges, the things that we have to address, they're not related to, you know, oh my gosh, how are we going to implement, you know, cloud-based security? Okay, yeah, we have those conversations. You know, I just was on a, a demo call the other day looking at a, uh, you know, um, um, attack surface management tool. Okay, so I get that opportunity. I get to look at some of those things. But a lot of the times it's, you know what? Hey, this business is doing this thing in this country and we need to figure out those implications and how we support this from a security perspective and whatever. Those are things that aren't really about the technical chops. It's understanding why is this business doing you know, this thing? What is the nature of what they're doing? What are they trying to do in this foreign country that has all sorts of you know, different requirements than what we have here in the US, et cetera. And so, you know, it, it, it's, it's just very interesting to see that. You, you, I mean, we're talking about budgets all the time, right? Right now it's budgeting season. So budgets is another one. You know, understanding how to manage a budget is something that you don't really think about from a cybersecurity perspective, typically. Now you get exposed to it, right? I mean, you sit down and you... You work with your management to try to get a new initiative approved or you want budget to go train or whatever. Well, it's a lot different when you're the one that's responsible. You're given a number and you have to figure out how to make all those pieces work. Now, this, this role isn't my first time doing that. But it's a lot different when you own the entire cybersecurity program and that's the thing that you're focused on. So another book, and I don't think I have it in here. I don't, which is too bad. Um, but another book that I've recommended to people who've asked me if I want to get into cybersecurity, you know, leadership roles, what do I do? And I've, I've shared the name of the book a couple times on this show. If you've seen some of the past episodes, it's, it's called, um, I'm on, oh shoot, I'm getting confused because I think it's like the, the 10 week MBA or something like that. Um, but those MBA concepts, I'm not saying go out and get an MBA, but understanding what people learn in an MBA program helps you talk to your peers. You know, my chief marketing officer, my chief financial officer, they, they have very different focus than I do naturally and understanding how to talk to them and what the things are that are on their mind is really important because those are the conversations you end up having as you get into these high levels. So I think as I rolled into the CISO role, one of the things I saw was confirmation of just how much that shifts. I was used to it from other jobs before, but I, I expected it to be to a whole new level in this role. And that's exactly what happened. As I've been in this role, the, the, I would say that those conversations that are, only ancillarily related to cybersecurity happen a lot more than those conversations about security technologies and strategy and whatnot. So James had an interesting question here. And unfortunately, I don't know the answer, but I would love to know as well, you know, how, what is the average time past 90 days? You know, how, how many people drop out early Versus, so I guess it would almost be more of like, what's that distribution? If we say the average is 2.8 years, 
I would love to know that distribution. Are there things, you know, how skewed is that one way or the other? Um, it'd be interesting to know because, you know, are there people who get into this job and are like, nope, not for me, I'm out. Are there people who get into this job and, you know, they're not, they, they real, you know, they feel good with it, but maybe their leadership is like, oh yeah, you're not the right one. Um, thankfully I'm here 90 days in and I'm pretty comfortable. I think my leadership is comfortable with me. I've, that's, but it would be interesting. It would be an interesting study to see. So if anybody's heard of a study around that, I would love to hear more about it and share it with James too, please. Um, so let's talk about some other things, uh, really specifically to the first 90 days that I learned. Um, I've worked in a variety of industries, a lot of financial services, but a lot of different industries. I've also worked in a variety of different sized companies from 50 person company to a 800 person company, or actually two that were about that size, you know, 1500. So now we're kind of small to mid-level. Uh, I worked for a company that was five to 6,000 people strong, but then I also worked with companies that were 25, 35, 250,000 people strong. And yet walking into the role I'm in now, the company I work for now is about six, 7,000 people. It's amazing to me. What really took me back in the first 90 days was seeing just how different the culture can be from, you know, different organizations of even the same size. So, you know, and you can debate whether it's, um, industry related or whatever, but each industry, each company has its own personality. And the reason that, that that's important is when you're in that first 90 days, the tricks you learned working at your last job may not work in your current job. And definitely, I should say tricks, but you know, the different skills that you leverage, the different communication styles you leverage, whatever. I went from a very conservative company, Wall Street, okay? Big Wall Street company, very old school, very conservative, massive organization to a company in the legal industry, which is, as you imagine, also very conservative. And yet the way that I functioned and communicated in that previous company did not work well here. So I'm sharing you some of the lumps, right? Like I've already had to get used to the fact that being a quote unquote conservative company or traditional company or however you want to term that, I think you understand what I'm getting at though. The connotation there doesn't necessarily mean that they, they communicate in the same way. Like that, that's a really broad categorization that doesn't really mean a whole lot. And so it, it, it's been very interesting and a learning process for me seeing that, all right, you know, how I used to communicate in this company doesn't work at all. Um, and to that end too, it's also really interesting to understand how different, and this might seem obvious, but how different things like budgeting and whatever can be in a big company versus a really, really big company. So coming from a really big company, I consider 25,000 really big, um, you know, 250,000 would be massive in my book, but from 25 to 
six or seven thousand. Six or seven thousand for a lot of people is a big, big company. And yet the differences in how they function and communicate is, is fascinating because budgeting everything else happens in a very different way. I'm used to budgeting and managing P&Ls in fairly large companies. But yet when I walked into this company, it was a whole different ballgame. It was a very different process, which just underscores the fact that there's no one way to run a business, no one way to be successful in business. And so as CISOs, we have to be able to adapt as well. The same way you would expect the CEOs to have their own style, the CFO to have their own style. You as a CISO have to have your style, but you have to be able to adapt it to the organization you're in. And no matter how well you think you understand the organization on the front end, until you're in the mix and dealing with it, you don't necessarily know how that's going to work. I came into this role feeling like I was, I had, you know, a pretty good understanding of the company and how they would function. And I got here and it was completely different. You know, I did everything I could in that interview process to understand it, but it was new and different. And it was honestly not akin to any of my most recent employers. It was actually more akin to an organization that I worked with closer to the beginning of my career. And so I, I still have some tools. I will tell you that the experience of having been a consultant, having worked with so many different companies, definitely is something that prepared me for this role. So for those of you out there that are really like considering the idea of pursuing maybe an executive level role, I would say, you know, that if you have room in your career path to do some consulting work, I think it is a great opportunity. Certainly, if you go and you work for one of the big fours, a lot of times that can be a really useful thing to have on your resume too. But that's not even what I'm talking about. I think just that ability of being in a situation where you're counted on to be an advisor is actually really akin to what you see as an executive leader. Because, you know, I'm asked on a daily basis to make decisions, to decide the path for this company and having seen, you know, having had the ability, first of all, to try and, you know, and, and make recommendations in other organizations. I shouldn't say try, that sounds bad. Like it, they were experimental. No, 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 no. But I got to see how different things had worked or not worked in different organizations. And it highlights a lot of pitfalls, a lot of things that you can't get from just working, you know, in one job versus the next, just working for a particular org. That consulting piece, I think, is something that really prepped me well for this job. Now, we'll see. I mean, I'm 90 days in. Who knows where I end up two years from now. Maybe I don't feel like I was prepared at all. Or maybe I'm looking at this and I'm saying, yeah, I was really successful so far. And, you know, things are going great. We'll see. Um, but that brings me to my next uh, topic. The level of imposter syndrome. <laughs> I was not prepared for just how out of place I would feel walking in. And to the credit of everybody in my org, first of all, everybody in my organization, from my team to my leadership, especially my direct CIO, I report directly to, 
very, very supportive and very, you know, affirming of their confidence in my ability to do the job. The only one who wasn't confident in my ability to do this job is me. And you would think, you know, well, like I mentioned before, okay, be so. Hey, you know, like you, you knew this was going to be the next step, girl. What the hell? And yet, you know, I wasn't sure. And it's, it, and it, what it really highlighted for me is the amount of, uh, the amount that uncertainty plays a role in generating imposter syndrome. So imposter syndrome, I, I'm starting to realize more and more, especially from having worked this job, a lot of that just comes from the, I don't know if I can do it. I don't know if I can do that job. It, it's that uncertainty. I don't know what to expect. So I feel like I'm unqualified. And what you start to realize, and, and I learned this talking with mentors of my own, people who had been through this themselves, is that, you know what? Nobody walks into their first CISO gig knowing what to expect because you've never been one before. And this holds true for any level of job that you're looking at is you're never going to know what to expect if it's something new. And so that feeling of imposter syndrome where you don't feel like you belong is just you feeling like you don't know what to expect in a lot of cases. And it's feeling like you should know everything if you're going to take on this role, but you don't. And so you start to feel like you're not, maybe you're not qualified. Maybe you're faking it. Maybe they made a mistake hiring you. These are all things that went through my head. I kid you not. Like I had all of these thoughts like, did I oversell myself and, and they're, they're going to be regretting they hired me? And so that's also where having a really good network helped me out a lot. I have some great mentors, great mentors who helped me through that process, who were like, look, look at everything you've done. Look at all that, you know, look, look at your accomplishments. Of course you're ready for this job. I had a, a colleague, a CISO friend, who sat there and told me that like she felt I was more qualified to do this job than she was. And she'd been in this job in, you know, in a, in her own role as a CISO for some time. That to me, you know, the, the power of that, I would say to anybody, if you're considering this, start working on building those relationships. Now, if you can, if you're considering moving into a CISO role someday, start finding other people who've been in that role. Connect with them, leverage their experiences, find out what worked and what didn't for them and how they felt. Because I'm going to tell you, if you can't do that now, definitely before you dive into a job, talk to some folks. It was the best thing I could have done. I reached out to at least eight different people, different CISOs and so forth. Um, some amazing people I'm, I'm absolutely honored to have in my court working with me and, and helping me through some of this, my ring zero group in particular, um, you know, that, that's a, that group of most trusted folks. Okay. We have our little group and we talk and, and all of those people who helped me and, and built me up and helped me see that, yeah, this was a job I could take on. I think that is an important support system you need if you're going to take on a role like this, because it's ultimately at the end of the deal, at the end of the day, it is a big deal. And I think that was something too that kind of struck me. Um, like it, it felt like a big deal at the time, but then I kind of started to downplay it. It's like, okay, well, I'm, you know, 
there's not going to be some big public fanfare. I'm not going to take on a Cecil role at a gigantic, you know, social media company or, you know, this isn't something that's going to get splashed in the news. And indeed it didn't, but it's still a big freaking deal. And, you know, I think having that support system there on your way in is crucial to that. So let's talk more about the first 90 days. That 30, 60, 90 thing. This is something that's really, I think, critical. It is probably the most common expectation for anybody walking into a new leadership role, in particular an executive leadership role. 30, 60, 90. What do I mean by that? It's that 30-day, 60-day, 90-day plan. Having goals for yourself at each of those stages is important but also making sure they're realistic. And this is where I was also very fortunate to have a very powerful ally in my CIO because I wanted to bite off way too much. And it was him standing there and, and kind of, you know, slowing me down a little bit and saying, hey, 30 days, just get to know the organization. Start making those relationships with the people that you're going to have to work with on a daily basis. And yeah, there's a lot of discovery because you don't even know who it is. So one of the things I did on the way in, and I'm glad that it was well accommodated by my, my organization, was I asked specifically, help me line up those people who are going to be critical for me to be working with. Because I don't know who they are on the way in. I don't want to have to figure that out and suss it out for myself. I want to hit the ground running. So if you can kind of help me and line up some of those meetings, and I'll tell you what, I walked in the first three weeks on the job were nothing but introductory meetings, connecting with various executives and leadership folks around the entire organization. That's really important. And so I think, you know, when you look at your first 30 days, it may sound obvious, but really be ready for that to be just pretty much the only thing you're going to do and have those conversations in the recruiting process that, Hey, this is what I would want to do first. I want to sit down in the first few weeks. That's all I want to do because then you get into 60 days and 60 days for me. And this worked really well in this role was really about, all right, let me assess where we're at. So now I know who I need to talk to. I know who I can get information from. Let me really start to understand where we at today from a cybersecurity perspective. You know, you may be walking in an organization, like say a large financials, who has a huge program already in place, and maybe your role is just going to be more of, you know, continue to support that role and your know, continue to support that program and continue to grow it. On the other hand. On the other extreme, you could be walking into a role where, you know what? Your job is to come here and build something because we got almost nothing or we're super immature. Or you might be somewhere in the middle, which is kind of where I find myself right now, right? Like I wouldn't say that it's, it's you know, an industry, top, you know, industry leading, I don't know, whatever, top tier program at this point yet, you know, there, there's goals. Everybody should have goals for improving maturity. And certainly we do. We, but at the same time, we've got a really impressive program. And so I had a lot of things that were laid out for me that I was able to take, understand and build upon. And what it showed me was my job was going to be really about optimizing this program and, you know, 
making it stronger, taking the lessons I learned from working on both sides of that spectrum, working with organizations who had very immature programs and working with hugely mature programs in large financial institutions and bring both of that to bear into, into a scenario where now my, my focus was going to be, all right, how do I take us from this really impressive maturity level that I feel like we're at now to an even more mature level? So that 60 days, you're kind of feeling that out. You're trying to figure out what am I really going to be here to do? They'll tell you a lot of things in the, in the interview process, right? Everybody will have their opinion about where they stand from a cybersecurity perspective, what they're expecting you to do. But at the end of it, you're still going to discover that it, those are just perspectives and everyone has a biased perspective and you're going to have your own. So one thing I would recommend as you're looking at a role like this is to really explore with your potential manager, whoever you're going to be reporting to, if you're going to be reporting to a CIO, to a CRO, whoever it is, really explore with them what they expect of you. Because in most cases, you're walking into somebody else's program. There was a former CISO in place who started building something and they probably had, hopefully they had a strategic plan in place that you're inheriting. And what you're looking for is to discover how much flexibility you have because are they expecting you just to carry, carry the torch from that previous program? That may or may not sound good to you. Are they open to you coming in and making changes? What scale of change? Are they expecting you to come in and change the world? Because all of that's going to impact, you know, think about that. Do you really want to walk into an organization where you're expected to change everything? Maybe, but how is that going to work in the organization? Back to that balance again. And I think you need to be aware of that. And those might be, those are going to be factors. For me, I'm really happy that I'm, the CIO that I report to has a very balanced approach to that and empowered me early on to say, hey, it's your program now. You do what you need to do to make it what you feel it needs to be for us to be in a better position moving forward. Because that's what you're there to do. You're there to put them in a better position tomorrow than where you found it today. That's the job of every CISO. So I think that that's, you know, exploring that early in the, in the search process is very good and very important. Um, so I learned the importance of that positively because I am empowered and I do have that support. So the 90 days, now you're talking about, okay, where are we headed? All right, so I understand where we are. I understand what my role here is going to be. Here's how I'm going to achieve it. By the end of your 90 days, you got to come with a strategic plan. You got to have something. And people have heard me pontificate about roadmaps. I think this is where you have to have a roadmap. You've got to have something that says not just what you want to do, but why and how. Here's how I'm going to take us from maturity level X to maturity level Y using this initiative, with, and then that feeds into this next initiative, which feeds into this next initiative that helps us accomplish that. And you break that down into, you're going to have to break that down into various areas that you're focused on. Now, how do you get to those various areas? Top risks. Top risks is something every CISO should be talking about. 
what are the three or four, maybe five threats that concern me most? What am I, what do I feel like are the biggest risks to this organization? And then you build your program to link back to that, right? And so that's where that's where risk management becomes an important discussion for CISOs. It is not the thing we're there to do. We are not risk management. Uh, you've heard me say that on this show before. But what you are there to do is identify, hey, these are the things, this is where I think we have to be most focused on, and then build the roadmap around those three, four, or five things. Don't go any bigger than that. If you've got a laundry list of risks sitting on a slide somewhere that you're saying are your top risks, how do you build a program for that? Unless you've got hundreds and hundreds of people on your team, that's just not realistic. And even then it's probably not realistic because there's no way to coordinate all that. So I learned as well how effective that can be just boiling down to three or four top risks. So, you know, other things to be aware of, things I've learned, there's still a lot of expectation out there that of some end state that, you know, at some point will be fully secure and, you know, we won't have to be afraid anymore. We don't have to be afraid. We just need to be confident and competent. But we also have to understand that we're always going to be working on this. And the importance of putting that message out there early and often with your executive teams, with your board, that's a critical thing for a CISO. The biggest thing I have learned through both being a BSO, but now in the first 90 days as a CISO, the most important thing I think I wanted to come out of 90 days with, and I think I've achieved it based on some feedback. And I think that this is probably the most important tool. If you have one goal for your first 90 days as a CISO, you want after 90 days for the rest of your executive leadership team and your board, if you get a chance to meet with them in those first 90 days, to be confident in you. Doesn't mean you have to come in and make a splash. Doesn't mean you have to come in and change the world. In fact, I think you're more effective coming in, not trying to change the world. Balance that approach. Take what was given to you. Figure out how you're going to improve it. But give them the confidence that they're in good hands. And that comes from having that good strategic plan, working through and laying it out that, hey, here you go. Here's what I see today. I do actually understand the business. Here's the people I've talked with. We've got really good relationships now. Here's where I want to take this from here. And here's why, because after understanding the entire business, these are the risks that worry me the most. You can do that in the first 90 days and get that confidence, make them start to feel like, all right, we've got somebody who's, you know, rolled up their sleeves, come in and is ready to do the work and they can do it well. They speak well to it. That's the, that's where you want to be 90 days in. That's your goal. Now, where do I go from here? Where do you go after 90 days? Well, now it's time to execute, right? Now you're on it. You're on the clock. You gave them something, you're, you've got them confident that you can do it. Now you need to prove to them that their confidence isn't misplaced. So as I look out you know, over the rest of this year and onward into 2023, that's my focus as a CISO. I've got to execute on the things I said I was going to do so that at the end of the day, it's what's best for the organization. I'm confident in that. And 
it's what's going to show them that they spent their money and their recruiting dollars in the right place when they picked me up. So I'm out of time already. I mean, I, it's weird for me to talk that much about the topic on this show, but I hope you guys found it useful. Um, I mean, I see there's plenty of people on watching right now and not a lot of activity in the comments. Um, so I guess there's not really any questions. If you all got any questions, get them in real quick before I stop here. Cause I'll happily stay on longer to answer your questions. But otherwise, thank you all for tuning in again. I hope, I hope this was valuable. It, it, it felt like the right thing at the right time for me, especially considering the circumstances. I thought I would share some things. Um, I am by no means the, you know, CISO Swami or whatever at this point, I mean, far from right i mean this is my my first role but i hope that maybe that perspective if someone new to it is helpful to you and who knows maybe you know, see something similar in a, in a conference talk down the road we'll see but in any event be right back here next week we'll have another great guest uh, appreciate you all tuning in and we'll see you next time right here on securing bridges until then, take care of yourselves, take care of each other, and keep doing the good things. Bye-bye, everyone. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Securing Bridges Podcast with Alyssa Miller. If you learned something new and this podcast made you think, then share ITSBMagazine.com with your friends, family, and colleagues. If you represent a company and wish to associate your brand with our conversations, sponsor one or more of our podcast channels. We hope you will come back for more stories and follow us on our journey. You can always find us at the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society.